Today, we're going to look at how we use our words. Now, we're four weeks into a series on communication, and you'd think this is an odd time to finally be talking about how to speak correctly. (laughs) But what we've learned in the last three weeks is that communication is a whole lot more than just the words we use. There are a lot of other factors that come into play. Let's see how much you remember. What are some of those other things that are going on that impact how we communicate besides just the words that eventually find their way out of our mouths? Yeah, the filters. Everything that we've experienced that becomes part of how we see life and how we respond to things that we hear, all the hurts, all the disappointments, all the decisions that are both good or bad result, all the people in our lives that you remind me of when I'm talking to you. My feeling about them works into how I feel and listen to you. Our belief systems, our hurts, our fears, all these things present a filter through which we view life and into which all words come before we even have the opportunity to think about them and respond. That's huge. There is no more important thing to effective communication than learning to not trust yourself as much as you do. That what you're thinking about what you heard, you've already processed it through a whole different set of stuff than what the communicator's trying to say. So filters, what's another thing? What action has to precede speaking truth in love? Yes, listening. We don't think of listening as an act that we do. We think of it as passive. Therefore, we don't really engage when the other person speaks, except to hear in a way that responds from our point of view, right? True listening. Do you remember the four types of not listening that we talked about last week? Anybody remember some of them? Yeah, see that? Okay, defending. Thank you. What's that? Comparing. Defending says, not me. I am not wrong. I didn't act wrong. And if I did, I didn't mean it. Not me. Comparing, me too, listening to you just as long as it gives an opportunity for me to tell you my story, which is so much more important to me than yours. What else? Judging. Judging. What's wrong with this person that they've gotten into this situation? They have to have something wrong with them. Defending says, not me. Comparing says, me too. Judging says, you are. What's the other one? Advising. We're born fixers, so we listen to somebody in order to give them the solution that we think they should have. And the discussion becomes about whether or not our solution is the right thing to do. Now, there is a right place to defend ourselves. There's a right moment to discern, not judge in a condemning way, but to discern into someone's life and and speak truth in a way that opens them up to ways they may have contributed. There is a time to compare as a gift to comforting people with the comfort we have received. And there's a time to advise. Our problem is we do that and think it's listening. All those attempts do not bless. They do not produce life in somebody because they're coming out of a brokenness. Godly listening precedes any ability to really speak in a way that transforms. I can't stress this enough how important listening is. We will always, our entire life, be fighting to become true listeners. Because there's a voice in your head that wants to shape everything you listen to. And that voice in your head is all those filters, all those experiences, all those fears. We call that voice the old man. 
the old nature, the sin nature in you. And that old voice is fighting to keep you from seeing truth, not to help you understand it. So all those are very important things for us to deal with in advance of speaking. We are so quick to open our mouths. That's why James said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. All right, so before we get to six ways that I think the Bible tells us that we can speak in a way that blesses and gives life, I want to talk about some of the other things that get in the way as we're speaking, our intentions, what it is we're trying to accomplish, why we say the things we do. Look at Matthew chapter 12 with me. Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to begin at verse 35. This is Jesus' words. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted. By your words you will be condemned." Another passage, it speaks about the power of language. And here's what's even more important. We're going to give account for it. We're going to give account for this gift of language and whether we used it for God's purposes. Where do the words that we speak come from, according to this? They come from inside us. In Luke chapter 6, when Luke quotes Jesus' teaching on this, he puts it that way. From the overflow of a man's heart, he speaks. So in other words, when we speak, there's things that our heart intends or seeks or desires that really determine what words come out of our mouth. What are some of the things that we're trying to accomplish when we speak to somebody? Yeah. Okay, to get them to listen. Say again. Build them up. Okay, so you might want to encourage. What else are you trying to accomplish? You might want to correct. What else? Educate. Change. You might want to bring transformation to make it sound more noble than just change. What else? Comfort. We want to comfort people. Sure. How about understanding? What else? Persuade. How do you spell persuade? P-E-R-P-U-R. S-U-A-D-E. Can't spell it, but I sure want to do it. Persuade. What else? How about pleasure? To give pleasure and to receive pleasure, right? Joy. Fun. Nothing wrong with those things. What else? Motivate, okay? I think that kind of fits under encourage, but let's put that up here. Motivate. What else? How about to build relationship? I'm sorry? To give direction, okay? Instructions. All right, you've covered a fair amount. These are the best of intentions, right? You know that phrase, I was only doing it for the best of intentions? You ever heard that phrase? It's not true. We never do anything for just the best of intentions. There's always other intentions going on in us that are rooted in all this brokenness inside us. 
And it comes into our conversations. And it really kicks in once the conflict starts. That's when the best of intentions get put on the shelf. (laughs) And the other needs in us kick in. Now, what are some of those intentions? The things that are not the best of intentions, but they're things that we carry with us that we want to accomplish when we speak to somebody. What? Get your point across. How about win? (laughs) Be right. I don't struggle with that, but I know Rick does, so that's why I wrote it down. What else? Control. Absolutely. Control. Now, control comes in a lot of different ways, right? For some of us, it's controlling our status. We've set things up the way we like, and when something comes in that starts shifting those circumstances or things, we act in a way to restore because that's safe for us. We can manage that. That's one form of control. Another form of control is more the high D person who control means I want to make sure that the way I think this should go is how it's going to go. What else? Guilt. To instill guilt. To manipulate. What other things play into how we respond to people? How about fear? Our fears kick in, and what we want to do is alleviate that fear. Here's one that some of you who are like me, who are more the social type people, that person values affirmation a lot. Sometimes our need for approval kicks in when conflict happens. So we're trying to speak what's best to somebody, but if the situation's going badly and it reflects on us negatively, we start steering the conversation around to regain the approval. What else? Pride is a big word for all these. Sin, insecurity, selfishness, I want what I want, anger, yeah. All right, so we've started to scratch the surface here. And by the way, I can tell you're very in touch with your dark side. God bless you for that. Here's what I want you to see. You'll see in your notes I have this thing that looks a bit like a pyramid, but it's not a pyramid, it's an iceberg. Here's the point in terms of our intentions. Above the surface, what we're aware of when we're talking to people are the best of intentions. But just like an iceberg, there's a mountain under the surface that is how the Titanic gets sunk, how communication goes bad. That's what Christ is saying. Out of the heart flows. And if there's evil in there, and trust me, we all have evil in there. Evil comes out. If there's good in there, good comes out. This is the constant struggle that we face. And Christ wants to make it clear. We're going to give account. So we need to be aware of this. Now, how do we deal with this issue? This is the spiritual transformation that we were talking about. This is learning to let God break into our lives and transform us. Our goal, according to Ephesians 4, is to speak the truth in love. And when we do that, that's when all of us become what Christ meant us to be. That's Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. But then, as soon as he says that, Paul goes on and says, so because that's the pattern... 
you have to stop thinking the way you used to think. He says, you have to stop thinking. Don't think anymore the way, and he uses the word, the pagans, the way the pagans think. What he means by that are those that are outside of the body of Christ. Pagans were, was actually a, a religious belief. It wasn't a derogatory term. It was just those that hadn't come to faith in Christ, and they lived in a different way, and they were blinded to these things. And Paul says, you have to stop thinking that way. It's a futile way of thinking. How do we do that? Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed, how? By renewing your mind. Renewing our mind is not just changing what I think about things. It's changing how I think. It's letting Christ's grace and mercy come into our need to win and to recognize that he wins. (laughs) He's Lord, and we're not. And to surrender to that, to take up our cross and follow him. It's our acknowledgement that God is the only one who is ever completely right. And to recognize that it's his righteousness that wins. Who's in control when we're submitting to the work of Christ? Am I in control? Is my seizing control what matters, or do I want God to be in control? See how this works? As we surrender to the work of God, he deals with these things. Our job when we communicate is to recognize that they're there. This will this will never be fully done with this. We'll always be in process. But we need to be aware of the process, submissive to the work, the transforming work of grace, of Christ in our life. And then we need to always admit and come into our conversations honest about what's going on in our hearts. Instead of just thinking, if I can fix what you're doing wrong right now, then we'll be fine. Proper communication begins with, what am I doing wrong? What am I not understanding? What am I thinking that could get in the way of this being a life-giving conversation? Does that make sense to you? All right. I want to share with you now six ways that we speak life, speak truth in love. And we are going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 together. So turn there with me. In order to help what we're about to say and help this passage come to life, I'd like each of you to think back to your most recent disagreement with someone. Do you have something in mind? Okay, might have been a year ago because you're just that nice of a person. You might still be in the conflict, and you may pick it up in the car when you're done with church. There's a conflict that you have in mind right now, okay? How many of you have something in mind? Okay, the rest of you that don't are in denial, so please catch up with the rest of us. I'm going to read this passage. Tell me how you think you you measured up in it, and then based on that, we're going to go through as, as many of these points as we can. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I'm going to pause there. Those words sound so strong that all of us could convince ourselves that even in our worst arguments, we don't do any of those. (laughs) But we do every one of them. The way we do it just tends to usually be a little more passive than the people that we think do it. We all do these things. Reading on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, 
forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, based on that passage and, and a few others we're going to work through, let me not give you a, at least start talking about six ways that we use our words for life to speak truth and love. The first way I need to speak, I need to speak reluctantly. Reluctantly. We are so fast to open our mouths. We're so quick to believe that before we've even heard or come to fully understand that we have all the understanding we need, all we need to do is just to jump in and fix it. When I finally choose to open my mouth, I need to do it reluctantly. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Look with me at Psalm 141, verse 3. It's up here. Let's say it together. Post a guard at my mouth, God. Set a watch at the door of my lips. Set a guard at my mouth, God. Tell this psalmist uh, had looked back and realized that they had opened their mouth a little too quick a few too many times. Lord, hold me back. When I speak, let me speak reluctantly rather than so arrogantly and so quickly. Under that point, I want you to take and draw a line, horizontal line. On the far left, put number one. On the far right, put number five. Okay? And I want you to think back to that disagreement that you had that now is your test case. And on a scale of one to five, five being the most reluctant to speak. That's the best part. One being that you just shot your mouth off right away and kept talking. Rate yourself on one to five. Five being the best, one being the worst. Go ahead, score yourself on that argument. If some of you want to go like to minus five, to zero, feel free. It's your scale. Second thing I need to do is to speak thoughtfully. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers. I hold back my response until I've processed, I've considered sides a little more. And when I do, I speak thoughtfully. Look at Proverbs 21.20. I love this verse. There's more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. (laughs) See, the difference between just speaking what's on my mind right now and speaking once I've considered is the difference between just reacting and truly responding, and they're very different things. A reaction is more of a knee-jerk response that is coming from everything that's going on in me, and often reactions are painful to the people listening, and that's why they destroy relationships. We respond. We speak in a way that has understanding, thoughtfully. Put a one and a five on a line below that, You just reacted. You spoke thoughtfully. Give yourself a grade. Proverbs says, a well-chosen word is a blessing. Timely word. Third, we need to speak humbly. Speaking humbly means, I know my darkness. I know the fears that kick in. I know the sinfulness. I know the selfishness that's there. Humility keeps that in mind when I engage someone on the other side. You know what we do instead? We assume our position is the righteous one. And we stand arrogantly in that position 
and fight for the high ground. Little humility. I, I think that's what is being spoken of here. We are all capable of all of those things in Ephesians 4, bitterness, anger, factions, slander. And when we do those things, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And so he says, instead, be tender, compassionate. When I speak humbly, I am offering you, according to what Paul says here, the same grace that God has offered me. You're offering forgiveness in the same way that God in Christ forgave you, humbly. Put a line at the bottom of that section of your notes, put a one and a five, and ask yourself if you acted proudly without considering whether your viewpoint needed to be corrected and just jumped in, too proud to reconsider, or were you humble enough to recognize that you're, you're faulty, you have issues and to be humble in how you approach the other. Fourth, I need to speak truthfully. Earlier on in this chapter, let me just show you the verse I was, I've quoted several times here. Let's look at verse 14. The goal here is that we will no longer be infants spiritually, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. But instead, by speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So it's this speaking truth that is so critical. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how our culture, our whole culture, is framed around shades of lies, White lies, half-truths. I mean, admit it. Is there a single politician that you actually trust completely to be telling you the truth? It doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. I realize I don't trust any of them. I have a hard time trusting the news to report anything fairly. Why? Because we shade truth. How much harder is it as Christians to be truth speakers in a society that says sometimes the most noble thing you can do is lie. We actually have become accustomed to thinking that I am lying in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you less than what is true, less than what I'm feeling, less than what you may need to hear about yourself so that God can work. I'm not telling you that and convincing myself that somehow that's God-honoring. That's the right thing to do in the church. When Ephesians says the only way all of us will grow up into him who is the head is to speak truth to one another. Our society tells us exactly the opposite. And how many of us have seen situation after situation where because people just won't come to the person, coming at them humbly, expressing what's going on, seeking, trying to gain an understanding from your side to see if your judgments are correct. But because we won't do that, things build up and up and up, and then they're shot. I'm going to tell you, the breakdown at my last church was that the leadership allowed people who had misunderstanding and issues to go and speak those complaints to others and never come to the source to find out, first of all, if they were even right. Or to see if it just wasn't some misunderstanding. Or to have me, for instance, have the opportunity to say, yeah, I guess that wasn't a very good thing. I'm sorry. 
No apology could be given, no correction, no understanding. And because of that, what it allowed was that person's perception to stand unchallenged, and then relationships fell apart. Those of us that were part of that situation want to basically villainize the people in leadership. I believe good people made a bad decision because they did not trust truth. They thought it was better to protect people who were too cowardly to come in and do the hard thing to make things right and thought it was better to protect their anonymity. And what it did was it allowed misunderstanding and mistruths to rule the day. We do not want that to happen here. I consider it a high priority for me to make sure I'm honoring and being as honest as I can to you. Leadership in this church, we will be held to a different standard in terms of how we deal with differences. It is how Satan gains a foothold. Good people who refuse out of fear or convincing themselves it's a gentle thing to do to not address issues, good people contribute to splits and breakdowns. All right? That's how Satan's going to destroy us. Because I think the vision's great. (laughs) I think the mission field is white for harvest. We don't want to be divided. We are all people in the process. We're at best diamonds in the rough. We're going to rub up against each other while God's polishing us. In fact, that's how it happens. Iron sharpens iron. Anybody think that's a gentle process? It's not. Listen to me. It's about trusting truth. Doesn't Scripture say it's the truth that'll set us free? I think that's a really good place to end for this week. We'll pick it up next week. Let's just pray together. Why don't you just sit in that for a moment silently and just ask yourself, do you trust truth? I'm not saying your truth. You know, we've already learned that all of us don't really perceive everything that's happening. We need to come into things reluctantly and humbly. We need to seek understanding. But do you trust the process of gaining understanding? Who are you really protecting when you don't enter into that process? Father, I pray that you will help us to be those that give life, that the words that we speak may be few, but will bring life and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.